0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: This is episode 716 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. On this week's USDF episode, we've got an expert in bridal fitting, Kelly Jones. And then Jody Kelly is back to give advice about planning to ride in your first international competition, And then Reese and I will bring you a wonderful tip.
2: This is Reese Coffler-Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky.
1: And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show.
2: Hi, Phil. How are you?
1: Um doing I'm doing great actually. Uh, we're, we're full into summer now, so that's uh thir- you know, bare minimum is 30 degrees Celsius, which is good.
3: Yeah, it's I, good, I don't much know what I,
1: just, I was gonna say what that is in Fahrenheit, but I I don't even know. I think it's I have 90- to Google it. Something. No, that's too much. Yeah. Just, no, I love it. I just yeah, I love it. Yeah.
2: Like, then you're not grumpy, Phil, because everybody knows <laughs> grumpy Phil.
1: When the summer's over, that's the guy who comes. Oh. And, and,
2: yeah, we don't like that guy.
1: Yeah. He's yeah, horrible. he gets
2: so grumpy. Yeah. So that's actually you're not wrong. It's 86 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, that's that's solid work. It's there, getting so. there.
1: Yeah, it's getting yeah, there. Anyways. it's so that getting there. That that's about as, as warm as we get for any yeah, kind of, that's length it. of time. You're yeah.
2: s- you're sweating. It is it is going to be in the nineties here. And, and we had a really we had a very cool May. So we've all kind of like cooled off. And now I'm like, whoa, to the last two days it was pretty hot. I was like, I think also like right around the same temperature. And we were all like, We're sweating. Like this is we're hot now. So <laughs> yeah yeah but it's also same like it's full summer it's beautiful here uh we're playing in the summer show season like there's lots of fun stuff going on so
1: i love it i mean we've got our first i mean uh, as far as like the barn goes and and that kind of thing we've got our first show in about two weeks um can't say we're ready but
2: You have two weeks, like that's that's a while. That's a while.
1: Feel good about it, you know. uh, Right, you got to get out there. Always kind of panicking, but (laughs) there's so few shows that we have. You know, we have to do this first one, and then and then we'll go from there, right? Which is, it's not. I'm not expecting perfection. Maybe by the last show, we're 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 going to be towards uh, something better. But we're just going to get out there and gauge where we're at, and and uh, you know, make a plan for every horse and rider.
2: And I think that's okay. I mean, I, we talked about it. I had to do that with one of my horses. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this just because I don't know if we're ready, but it was a very, very small local show. It's a great show. And it was right when we got back from Florida and I was like, all right, let's just see. And he was awesome. So I was like, okay. So I had some confidence. We did third one. Uh, He had a really good score and I I was pretty conservative. He was good. You know, I wrote it. I was happy with the score. Like it was all good. And then uh, there's the same little local show is happening. So we're going to go back at the end of the month. And I'm like, all right, dude, like, I feel like we can do this now. So felt pretty, pretty so- solid about it for sure.
1: So, yeah. I mean, it, you can pick on a few things that you want to improve and then you go yeah. out and you improve them. And then you, I mean, it's just a process, right?
2: Right. Um, exactly.
1: You know, I, like uh, the, uh, I'm going to be showing the horse that I rode in the, in the clinic I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't fix this, I didn't fix that, and blah, 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 you know, and and yeah. And I have a feeling you're
2: gonna go out and crush it. (laughs) And by the way, sir, can we give a shout out to Philip Parks? I'm so proud of you because this week you were awarded the Equestrian Canada Dressage National Recognition and Achievement Programs 2022 leading fourth level rider. Philip Parks.
1: Yeah, I was pretty proud about that. Uh,
2: I'm pretty proud kinda... about that too. Shout out to yeah, Phil. Yeah. Oh, so, that's awesome. Uh, proud uh, of you. I,
1: I didn't know like that was a, a real surprise. Um, I just submitted the scores to get my fourth level medal. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, over the pandemic, I, I was showing fourth level a lot, so I just threw the scores in there, and then um, yeah, I guess I was, you know, 2021. I wrote a bunch. I, I think I was the leading fourth level rider in 2021 as well, but uh, they had suspended the program over the two. Oh, years of the yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, it's fair, right? And yeah,
2: then, fair. Uh, <laughs> oh, but yes, fair.
1: Yeah, um, and then uh, yeah, 2022, Canada's leading fourth level rider.
2: Congratulations! That's fantastic. Yeah. That is yeah, amazing. Great. Proud of you! Yay! Yeah. I love that. Well, and again, we have a a show of shout outs. We just love them and keep them coming now that there's show season going on or not. It's okay. We, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously you get recognition from going to competitions, but when, when I have riders that say they don't show, I tell them not a problem. Like there's, there's a lot of respect in my opinion, if, if your goal is to ride well. So uh, I try to do that every day and respect anybody who says, oh, I don't really show, but I want to ride well, so uh, we give recognition to obviously to to great riding and competition, but there's also a lot of recognition to riding well. So, but Phil, congratulations, my friend! I'm very proud of you. And we have we have a great show today, don't we?
1: Yeah, I mean, right after this commercial break, we're going to be talking bridles with Kelly Jones.
0: This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com.
3: Did you know that easy keepers and horses on restricted diets are often at risk for vitamin and mineral deficiencies? Most easy keepers are maintained on hay, and some get a few handfuls of grain a day, and most of these horses get little to no green grass. Diets that don't include significant levels of green grass or recommended amounts of fortified concentrates just don't supply enough vitamins and minerals. Many horse folks don't realize that hay alone, even high-quality green hay, is not an adequate source of many vitamins. For example, when grass is cut and dried for hay, the vitamins quickly lose their potency. 70% of the vitamin E found in grass is lost in the first week after it is cut for hay. One way to ensure that your special needs horse is getting all the vitamins and minerals he needs is to add a vitamin and mineral supplement to his diet. A well-balanced supplement will provide the nutrients your horse requires without adding unwanted calories, starches, and sugars. in a natural form, so your horse receives optimal results from this supplement.
0: This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com.
2: Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Well, tonight, I'm very excited to have Kelly Jones of kellyjleather.co.uk on the podcast. Kelly, welcome. Tell us about yourself.
4: Hi. Yeah, so my full name's Kelly Jones, but my business is Kelly J. Leather. All my qualifications are I'm a Society of Master Saddlers, Master Bridal Maker, a qualified bridal fitter, and a Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust Scholar. So it's quite a mouthful, but that's sort of a... A simple overview. Well, I love it because Phil and I are very big into into
2: certifications and qualifications, and that's why I didn't even try. But tell us a little bit about what that means. I think that's really important as we start to talk about bridal fitting, you know, finding a fitter, et cetera. So tell us about your qualifications and what that means for us.
4: Well, the Society of Master Saddlers is an incredibly old membership group, you can't just sign up for it. You have to take all your qualifications. Um, to So simply to become a master bridal maker, you have to be in the industry for at least seven years, have all of your city and guilds qualifications. You will also have to have at the national saddlery competition every year, you have to get a, a certain percentage over a certain amount of years. So they're called premium. So it's over 80%. So just like a, almost a dressage test. And you also will get peer reviewed as well before you can actually apply to be a master or a master saddler, bridal maker or harness maker. So I'm a master bridal maker. So I totally specialize in bespoke bridles. Uh, the qualified bridal fitting is actually a very new addition to the society. It's only been going for two years now. And we curated it. Purely because we've seen such a need for bridal fitting. And although the saddle fitting has been around for years and years, the bridal fitting was a bit of the Wild West. There wasn't a real core qualification. So I took the exam on the first year that it was open. So it's now been open two years now and it's open internationally. So anyone can travel over to the UK and take it. Um, When I was doing it, we did have people from the US taking it, which is really exciting because it means that it's an international qualification, but it also means it's the best of the best. There isn't anything higher out there.
1: It's like a proper job, you know, uh, an apprenticeship, right? You you probably um, uh, learned from someone else and and they've been passed, you know, like that apprenticeship program uh, for the saddles for sure. I know how it has been going for, I think, hundreds of years.
4: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Sadly, apprenticeships in the UK, they're very difficult to get hold of now. So I actually self-funded it myself. So I still went to the training, but I had my own business and sold belts and dog collars and and simpler things when I first started training before I could really qualify and do sort of my City and Guilds qualifications to work towards the seven years to become a master. And the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust also helped me with that um, because it gave me a chance to shadow or work underneath another amazing bridal maker called Izzy Russell of IR Bridals. You probably haven't heard the name, but you would have seen her bridals because um uh, Villagro used to compete in them.
2: That is so cool. But we (laughs) were talking off air on how much you know, I, I really believe in your service. I think it's really important. And I had to fess up that actually I felt terrible. Big Mike, who I talk about on the podcast all the time, you know, I got his bridal fitted when he was six, he's now 11. And in Florida, I would put his bridle on and I didn't have any complaints really about his bridal, but I promise you overnight, I swear it's overnight, it, his head changed or something, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, dude, I am so sorry. Your bridal, is too small and your bits look too small. So I, you know, I think it's an, an incredibly important service. So talk to us a little bit about, okay, you need, you, you're you looking like me. I was lucky that that there was somebody coming to my area and, and we do it also in Florida
4: when we're there.
2: But tell us a little bit about like what you do when you first see a horse, et cetera. I'll let you talk about the process a little bit.
4: So when I first go to see a client, before I actually go there, I, I try and get a, a full background information on the horse and just have to do sort of background checks, to double check, that will ask the customer, have they had the physio, the dentist, and, and things like that. Because sometimes that people do sort of forget, oh, I my horse hasn't seen the dentist in 18 months. That could be a problem. But if that's all absolutely fine, I'll go out. And the first thing I see is I actually completely without, I don't let the customer know, but if the horse is still in the stable, I actually watch it chewing because you can actually really learn a lot from when a horse is chewing to see how comfortable it is. Because when a horse chews, they chew left to right and right to left. And if a horse is sticking majoritively to one side, so really only chewing like left to right, it sort of can give you ideas of problems going on in the head area I also check the symmetry of the horse. So just like when you have your saddle checked, you'll sort of they always the saddle fitter will tend to step behind the horse, not too close obviously, and look and check that the, the shoulders are nice and symmetrical. But I do that exactly the same with the head, just making sure that everything's in line, that the TMJ and and the jawbones are in a line because you do have to really there are some horses that are quite wonky and that's not a problem, but you just have to pay attention to that bridal fitting because it may mean that you may need to have a cheap piece one hole short or one side to allow for that so even before i see the horse ridden i'm already looking at different aspects of you know what the horse needs
1: and the confirmation of course yeah right? yeah that's what it, we're talking about is is confirmationally is it a, is a nor- normal or is there something to account for what you know in in the uh in the bridling of, of that specific yeah. horse
4: yeah I, I really look at that i always think people think they want their horse to be as comfortable as possible so they get the biggest padded headpiece out there really wide and sometimes if you look at the c1 joint so the first like main joint of the vertebrae between the c1 and the ear sometimes there isn't a lot of space for a really wide headpiece so what happens you're trying to fit something in a narrow gap that isn't there, so I I call it a ski sloping effect. And what happens is it that the headpiece doesn't sit flat; it ski slopes up or down. So I always say to customers, sometimes bigger is not always better for sort of headpieces. And and that is just confirmationally And warm bloods, particularly dressage horses, are the main. I sort of sometimes look at them and go, okay, you're going to be a you're going to be a bit of a challenge. And I I love a challenge, getting around it, but there are so many different aspects to look into bridal fitting, but just even a customer can look, how much space does my horse have between the ear and the first vertebrae, the C1? You can feel it with your hand and you can, you can give an, get a really good idea. And customers don't realize until you point it out and they go, oh, how have I missed that?
1: So uh, maybe we'll just talk a little bit about uh, a little bit of a controversial topic, but uh... Let's talk about nosebands and tightness. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way right now. Uh, You know, so in Canada, they're trying to to regulate it. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So nosebands, there's a lot of scientific research that have been done about nosebands. And I take some with a grain of salt and others, not so much, but I I really think the key thing is having a freedom of articulation in the horse's jaw. So the horse can freely swallow and chew I don't mean go around with its mouth wide open and its tongue flopping out because sometimes that is not a nice photo, like a picture or it's not what you're looking for. But you don't want to completely strap the horse's mouth shut. I listened to your latest podcast on the FEI forum that happened recently. And obviously we are looking at trying to make the, the whole sport as comfortable as possible for horses. And the FEI rule tightness personally it's a little bit lax because where they do take the tightness is on the cheek on the side which it's almost impossible to fail that because it's such a soft area when you do test the noseband tightness but then i I sort of slightly agree that going for two fingers in front of the on on the nose can be almost too far in the wrong direction i'm I'm very much of a practical bridal fitter. I like to, to make the horse as comfortable as possible and I never would put the horse in a position that I'm not happy with it being. But not everyone can go around with a lovely loose noseband all the time because horses do need a stability. It's just like a seatbelt. But there are so many different options for that, not just a flash, but drop nosebands I really like. Particularly, I have a four-ring drop noseband, so it's a slightly modern take on a drop noseband that draws the strap away from the eye I love that and my dressage riders really like those and I also I'm a huge fan of grackle nose bands which is really interesting they've become quite popular in the UK in dressage but I've noticed overseas in America that they're, they're still seen quite as taboo but interestingly on the scientific testing they actually came out almost on top on pressure testing as being the best so I am trying to educate people more and more but it yes. is a little bit of an uphill struggle. Kelly.
2: Tell us what, a, I'm like
4: Googling it as we speak. What is a grackle No, oh, Sorry, that's um, not it's normal. a cross yeah. nose band. I always forget that. It's cross nose band in America. Would it call it a figure eight?
2: Yeah, yeah, figure okay. eight or cross. So we can't, um, that's not legal in dressage, I don't think,
4: here uh, in the U.S. Okay.
2: So but it isn't venting, but I, I, uh, I would have to check the rules, everyone. But I'm not sure that's actually legal in the U.S., unfortunately, in dressage. I, I have guess. to look it up.
4: It's legal for British dressage over here, and you're allowed to use it in uh, the FEI young horse tests. But obviously, not super high up in FEI. From what I've seen, you may be able to use. I definitely know you're not allowed to use it for FEI and young horse tests in the US. But I'm not about sure about the USEF. Yeah, I'm not too sure. The
1: FEI, yeah, mm. so that's that's interesting. Maybe maybe it's a a more advanced rules in in the UK. That yeah
4: it, possibly I, be
1: coming this way yeah i mean who knows
4: it, it's because it wasn't allowed until the scientific research that came out and it got taken to the british dressage and british dressage reviewed it and went well really actually we can't see why not so yeah they, they okay. are
0: it, yeah
4: it's sort of depending on yeah.
2: so actually uh everyone please check uscf annex a but a figure eight cross nose band I do think is legal in USEF dressage, but please please check and it's in FEI CDI dressage is also legal. But please
4: please I I 100% know it it's not legal in the young horse classes. I do know that because I yep. discussed it with a client out in the US. And it's also not
2: permitted in FEI tests. Yes. So again, check that annex A, because I was able to pull it up pretty quickly. So anyways, we're getting the weeds with that. But
1: <laughs> tell Back us, those yeah. Maybe yes. maybe we'll so, all be will all be riding in them next right, year exactly. or something. Yeah. Exactly. Because we I think it's it's all driven uh from from the science and mm-hmm. and like how, how do we take the pressure off the different areas of the horse's body, but but also like we want to be kind about our training and right so we don't want them hanging you know with their mouth open because that's also not comfortable so we've got to we've got to take the the science into account
4: Mm. and another part that i do think it gets completely overlooked is the tmj or the temporomandibular joint which is the joint almost slightly back from the horse's eye just below where the brow band sits Um, people completely overlook that joint on horse's comfort But there's actually been cases in the UK where a horse has shown hind limb lameness, and they've blocked out everywhere on the body, couldn't couldn't find it. So they did a bone scan, which is a body heat scan. They put radioactive dye in. I'm not sure if it's called that in the US. And it was actually found that the horse had some damage onto its TMJ joint. So they blocked out the TMJ joint and the horse became sound behind. So it shows how something in the head can absolutely affect the performance and the comfort for the horse but also amazingly lameness yeah. so it's another really key point and it's something as simple of making sure that your buckles are right above the eye right sitting onto that joint because it can't be comfortable for the horse so for the long term that must be causing discomfort and as we know discomfort can cause sort of muscle wastage and also bony changes, which we know is not a good thing in horses. So
2: Kelly, I, this is kind of a big pet peeve of mine because, you know, I, I, I don't know much about bridle fitting, but I've certainly tried to listen. And one of the things that I hate is when someone comes to a lesson or, or whatever, and it's a bridle that's designed to have a flash, but they take the flash off. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's for me, like I, I, it's kind of a pet peeve because I, you know, to me, it's that bridle's is designed to have a flash on it. Can you talk about that at all?
4: I, I sort of think it's. It's horses for courses. Some horses that don't actually need a flash, so you would just have a plain caverson equivalent of what you would have in a double bridle, but obviously with snaffle bits. It is 100% possible. Like the horses do prefer that, but I agree with you. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I hate seeing the loop if it's not yeah. needed. Ugh. I, the way, yeah, it's, I either I, cut I, it or get a yeah. get a different bride like ooh, yeah exactly it, I, I will if anyone i say to customers if anyone turns up to my workshop and has me a noseband with a flash loop and they ask me to take it off it'll take me two minutes in my workshop because i obviously do everything by hand i won't charge them and then vice versa if they want suddenly want a flash loop added onto it i won't charge them i will just add it onto them God, because yes. it's just, yeah, it just doesn't look, it looks like you've forgotten it. You've forgotten it. Or, or,
2: you know, again, to me, it's like, okay, that's what that bridle was designed for. So please put it on. Cause I'm I agree with you. Like, I think over time, it, you know, you really have to play around with it. And when you said you like a drop noseband, oh, I love that because, you know, I think a drop noseband is really an important piece of equipment that sort of, you know, for what I've heard, it sort of got lost in fashion. It became more fashionable to have a a crank nose band versus Mm -hmm. a drop nose band. And, oh, I, you know, sometimes I put that on horses and they love it. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. You, you kind of have to play around with the bridle fitting, right? You can't, it's
4: not just one size fits all literally exactly and so when I go out to see a customer and they want a ridden assessment I will bring I have a a box of everything and I will bring that and we will play around with everything and it's usually I just I can usually get a rough idea and but horses like to prove me wrong but I usually put on a nose band and straight away we go yes that's it but drop nose bands I think became quite out of fashion because they are can be actually really tricky to fit sometimes because Mm -hmm. they Sure. Sometimes pinch the bit and sometimes they sit too close to the eye. And that's sort of my thinking around the four-ring drop-nose band, which I didn't design, but it's been around for years. It's just in recent years, it became competition legal because another, another major manufacturer started making it. Although, it, yeah, they 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 didn't steal the idea. It was sort of open knowledge, but it meant that it became competition legal, which is great. But with my four-ring, it drink, brings the strap away from the eye. And it's also got two padded jaw straps. So it just adds a little bit of extra stability. And horses absolutely love that. I, I do always like to try horses in it, because I've only found one horse that absolutely detests it. And funny enough, it's my own personal horse. <laughs> um, of course, of course yeah. it is. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, he was in a, a grackle for Five years, but I've now just moved him over to a double bridle, and he absolutely adores it. So, and it's completely changed him. So that's great. And I've got him to the level that I can compete in a double bridle now. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it was sort of I was on the on the sort of not wanting to quite step up yet. Tried the double bridle on, and then my instructor was like, "You're not allowed to go back now." Yeah, okay. now you now you've done it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is and good. The, and
1: the horse enjoys it, right? Or the yeah. horse likes it better than you know what you were riding him in. And mm-hmm. and that, that can be the case. I mean, every single horse is a unique individual and some really like the the double bridle and some really hate the double bridle. But, mm-hmm. you know, at least through the rules, we, we're being given a lot of a lot more options and, mm-hmm. you know, just just rules committees. That's a shout out to uh, Reese, right? Like
2: yeah.
1: a- everything's about, you know, being nice to the horse. So mm-hmm. we don't have to. Conform the horse to our aids, or to you know, to the equipment. It's more about you know being generous and and uh, and saying, eh, that's fine as long as you know, as long as you're sticking to the dressage standards. You know, yeah. what's what difference does it make, right?
4: Yeah. No. Well, there's been a lot of talk of trying to allow snaffle bridles to be used in Grand Prix FEI tests, and there's sort of lots of pros and cons about that because obviously every horse is different and it is I completely understand it is really tricky tricky for someone who has got a really talented horse but maybe doesn't have the mouth mouth is just too small to take double bridle bits and it's just not comfortable I can com- completely understand that but then I sort of also go on the th- thought of it is another level riding your horse in a double bridle and showing harmony mm. between horse and rider and because you don't have like the flash to, to hold the mouth shut so much, it does sort of expose any weaknesses. So it's it sort of, yeah, I'm I'm going off yeah. tangent, but it's... No, sort of, I, I, so I feel your tangent, folding.
2: girl. I feel your tangent because I think that's like one of the biggest things is that's historically, oh, what's been sort of required, right? Mm. And yes, it is important. I mean, I I... I'm lucky that both my FEI horses go also in snaffles and they go quite well in them. But Mm -hmm. I have also had some horses in the past that I couldn't ride them in a snaffle. I could not ride them and they were successful horses, but Mm -hmm. they were too strong or whatever, you know, and it just, it was, it was more of a fight than it was a good thing. You know, I've never had a horse that I haven't been able to transition to a double, but you know, again, I, yeah, it's, it's, that's a debate. That's a, that's a, Mm -hmm. Uh, sit around a fire and we could all really, really debate that <laughs> yeah. with some wine. Yeah. You
4: know, that's it, a debate for
2: everybody, yeah.
4: It's particularly on people that compete in less traditional breeds. Right. So, yeah, if like, like Arab sometimes, and my boy's three-quarters thoroughbred, but luckily he's actually got quite a lot of space in his mouth, but some thoroughbreds. Oh, and, easy, girl. I'm in Kentucky. That's all we have here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, actually, my my boy's great-great-granddad is secretariat. So oh, like, yes. He is a U.S. horse um, yeah, bred in tricky. the U.K., but now he's got yeah, He's got this need for speed running through his veins, hence <laughs> <And laughs> by the double bridle helps. Yeah,
2: it helps, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And thankfully, I mean, th- that's also another discussion, right? We are just talking about bridles. We haven't even discussed bits, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important to make sure, and, and, and there are two different discussions, right? It yeah. has to be the bridle that fits, and then, then you have to transition the bits, and mm-hmm. that's a different discussion, right?
4: Yeah. Although I sort of, I can, I fit bits and sometimes that I sort of, I try and not change too many things at once. It's like when you go to a new instructor and they suddenly Mm -hmm. take away your stirrups and then say, actually, and do this and hold your hands like this. And it's just too much overload and you can't process it all. It's just, so I try and keep it. I try and go, okay, let's sort the bit out today or the bridle out today, rather than all in one, unless everything needs to change which sometimes it does yeah and I see something can go okay we're gonna put all that aside and we're gonna start from the beginning start
1: from scratch yeah right. See, right. See, see, yeah see see what you got you know if you if you look at a bridle and you're like no that completely doesn't fit there's no reason why that should be successful then then of course you, you can change it right so
2: yeah and let me ask you a question because this is for me and and I, I fessed up right before we came on the air and and how you know I hadn't fit it and done a fitting on, on big Mike, uh, since five years, you know, I was like cruising along, everything was fine. And then I swear one day I was like, dude, your head changed. So how, how often do you think a a bridle and bit fitting should happen?
4: Again, it happens from the horse to horse. And it's, it's really difficult to say, I would say, especially, with young horses three four five year olds at least every year um, because yeah. their teeth are changing their head is changing and stallions I find they just don't stop it, it's quite amazing they just sort of the muscle grows them everywhere I probably find sort of with older horses it depends on the work level but I, I'm sort of I'm a, always an open book with my clients that I, I never sort of say even if it's just they just send me a quick photo and go I'm not sure about this even if I made them their bridal six years ago I would look at it for free and go actually I think you need this adjusting or actually I'd like to come out to see you but it, it is it is interesting and it's because there's so many muscles in the horse's head and the neck which can really affect the bridal fit and as I said like I've gone out to a customer who just said oh I'm, I'm just not sure about something I'm, I, I did a, f- a few sort of feelings and I said, I think there's something going on here. I'm not comfortable. Um, and I said, I'll fit the bridle, but could you get your dentist out? And then two weeks later, yeah. the um, client called me back and she went, Yeah, we had a fractured t- tooth, Ooh. a very new fractured tooth, but you were definitely right thinking that there was something wrong. And I could just tell that the horse's asymmetry just changed a little bit in the TMJ. And it's hard to pinpoint what a change. But I saw the horse and went, there's something different here. I'm not sure. And because I'm not a dentist, I'm not a vet. I just refer them on to. And yeah, the, the lady just said, look, there was a fractured tooth and we would not have known about it if you hadn't picked it up. Yeah. No, I think that that's great. And how often do you recommend people to get the the dentist out? Definitely every six months on young yeah. horses. To be honest, I would I would say... I I do my horse every six months and he's 11 just because they can catch any minor changes like you don't know when a tooth's going to fracture or you can even just if they're slightly unaligned they can start wearing their teeth down and your dentist can pick up really quickly and I also think it's huge communication between your dentist your physio and your vet because my physio can pick up something and go I'm not too sure about this TMJ it feels a bit tight and then they'll speak to the dentist and the dentist will go, actually, no, I noticed that his teeth are worn slightly differently. So it is a group effect. And I also so much I have videos contacting me saying I've got this client. This is what I'm finding. I've had a, a client who had a horse with quite severe TMJ problems and I fitted the bridle. and It was all great. And then I just got this unknown number call me. And the physio called, called me up and he was like, what have you done to this horse? And I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? Have I broken it? <laughs> and then they were like, it's the first time in six years I've managed to do a poll and TMJ release on this horse that wasn't sedated. I've never been able to do it before. And the only thing they've changed wow. is moving on to one of your bridles. So it can really change. But it's it's sort of a group effort between everyone, even your instructor. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of because we, as an everyday horse owner, you do... So you miss things. You miss subtle things if you don't see because you see. Oh, the we all do. Day. Even if you're a professional rider. I mean, I miss my horse's my
2: top horse's bit was too tight. You know, I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I'm I, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, whoa, dude, sorry. So I felt terrible, you know. So we fixed it and it's good now. And he likes his new bits and it's all and bridal. And he needed a new, a bigger brow band,
4: you know. Yeah. Oh, that, like, that is yeah, my yeah. key thing of as I was talking about the TMJ if your brow band's too small you'll pull Mm -hmm. the headpiece onto the ear but also onto the tmj so yeah yeah big big brow band. nothing too flappy because i hate flapping especially in judge. oh but no um, i always say to customers the simplest way of checking a brow band fit is placing your hand flat on your horse's head and starting at the nose and running all the way up to the brow band and if your hand can pass underneath the brow band without like really tugging the brow band it can just smoothly pass underneath it's fine if you sort of can't you, know, it, you feel like you're you're actually having to pull the headpiece forward to get your hand underneath it? It's too tight, and mm. it's such a simple way of testing. And people sort of completely overlook it. And some bridles, like not naming names, uh, like Micklem, I think Micklem is a great bridle, but their brow bands are always too small.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, thank you so much for for all of this. This is we could keep you on for hours. It's fascinating. I think we all are just kind of really getting into uh you know bridle fitting and bit fitting i and and i think it's for every horse too i don't care if you have a fancy horse or not if you ride that horse he deserves or she deserves uh -hmm. you know a fitting if you if you can do it it
4: just needs to be seen just the same as saddles you would never ride a horse without fitting a saddle and it just needs to be seen in the same light because it can enhance the the performance and the comfort just as much or even more yeah yeah, I love it. Well, Kelly, how can we find more information on you online? So I'm on everything, Instagram, Facebook, uh, even TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I, struggle, I struggle with that one, but I, I do I try and slug away. And I've mm-hmm. also got a website, which is just simply www.kellyj.leather.com dot co uk and as of actually today i have launched my bespoke and measuring members area so you can sign up onto my members area and there's really simple guides of how to measure your current bridal and also you can design your bespoke bridal which will mean that i will be able to make more bridles for international clients because currently i only do the uk and pretty much the south of the uk so I, i'm wanting to branch out more and 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 go over to the uk and well worldwide i can i can post anywhere
2: that's awesome well thank you for
4: coming on the show this has been great yeah no thank you for having me and yeah i uh, look forward to listening to more of your podcasts <laughs> absolutely we'd love to have you back on again too perfect thank you
0: Train with top hunter, jumper, and eventing professionals anytime, anywhere with Practical Horsemen On Demand. Your membership gives you access to hundreds of how-to training videos taught by top-level hunter, jumper, equitation, and eventing pros, exclusive interviews and lectures, slow-motion demonstrations, insider access to private clinics and lessons, and step-by-step tutorials. New content is always being rolled out, so there are always new videos available on the topics important to you. Join now for just 24.99 a month and take your training to the next level with Practical Horseman on demand.
2: Well tonight, I'm really excited for this listener question. I, we have Jody Kelly from Jody Kelly Dressage, back on the line, international rider and trainer. She has done many, many CDIs from juniors on up to young um, to to big tour for young riders. and Now she's doing the big tour, and this is a great listener question from Lillian. Lillian, thanks so much for writing in, and she wanted to know. Um, I was wondering if you and Phil could talk about how to prepare for a CDI, what it takes to ride in a CDI, team test, FEI jog, etc. So Jody, I wanted to have you join us in this conversation, (laughs) because this is a great question. Um, And and a lot of people probably hear us talking about a CDI, uh, but we don't really talk about very often. I don't think we've ever answered this question of, you know, when is it time to go to a CDI? What is a CDI? So I'm going to let you get started and Phil and I will join in as well. Okay.
5: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I'm glad it's not about entering a CDI, which is what I thought the original question was, because they are the most complicated <laughs> entries ever. And I she was like, no nope, not, doing, not entries, doing it. But I do know when I'm ready for one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, you do. So that, that question I can't answer. Um, I I have done several CDIs up through the years. And um, for me, the, the CDIs are... The, the place where you go to show off what you, what you think you can do consistently. Now, we all know that <laughs> things always go wrong in the ring. But for me, when I feel like I'm ready for a CDI, I've already done it multiple times on the national side. I've tested tested all the buttons, um, ridden without a whip. I think that's a big kicker that um, not everybody always thinks about. Anybody that's, that's seasoned in the CDI ring certainly does but, um, you cannot use a whip in the ring. So for me, for preparing for one, um, I, I'm, I'm all out of all the young rider things. So for me, it's the small tour, or the big tour. If I have an up and coming horse that I plan to do the small tour with, I usually start them in the national side at the pre St. George. And, uh, if they're comfortable with a couple of pre St. George's and it goes pretty well, then we move on to the I one. And if we can consistently, be pretty happy and, you know, fix the things that that go wrong on the national side. Then typically what I do is I'll do kind of a mock CDI on the national side. Also, I will do the pre-St. George the first day. I'll do the I-1 the second day. Depending on how the CDI schedule is running, I might even do a a day in between if that's how it is. Uh, Down here in Wellington, we have, (laughs) it goes over and over and over again so we can kind of see what the pattern is and, um, kind of mimic it for the national side. And I do that without a whip. So I kind of set set all the standards the same um, and see how it goes. And then when I feel pretty satisfied, for me personally, I kind of have that 70% mark in my head. If I can consistently hit that 70 mark in the, on the national side, that's when I feel pretty good about making my way over to the CDI. And then the CDI, it's, it's not that you're writing a different test. It's certainly not that you're going to nothing, nothing's different about it, but then at the same time, everything's different about it. (laughs) Um, you have, you have the difference (laughs) just in the environment, especially at global, you literally just are one arena over, but yet the whole world changes. (laughs) So it's, it's typically the bigger stadium. And then you have more judges, which, um, if, if the judge at C thinks everything looks good, then certainly the judge at B or E or M or H will tell you that it doesn't look as good. Um, (laughs) So I feel like that's why it's so important to be able to iron things out consistently on the national side, because then when you go in with five different sets of eyes on you, they will not miss a thing. Um, So that's, That's kind of my rule of thumb is when it's, when it seems like it works on the national side, that's when you're ready for the CDI. It's, it's not a place to, to be experimenting with a new level or, or be in that trial and error phase because it enough goes wrong in the show ring. Even when you, when you feel like you're pretty consistent, I think.
1: Yeah. I I think you make a a really good point in, 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 um, that you shouldn't be working out any kind of problems when if you're you know if you're thinking of entering a a cdi, i I know that um you know people make it their goal, and you know that but, but you have to be scoring really well, you know in the in the yeah. national classes, mm-hmm. um, not just placing really well. If you know what I right. mean by that, it's just absolutely
5: in, you
1: yes. you have to be uh-huh. you know, yeah. really scoring and, and yeah. able to get, you know, high 60s, low 70s, every, you know, um,
5: consistently. Yeah. 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 And that's, I kind of keep that 70, 70% mark in my, in my head. If I can, if I can hit that pretty consistently on the national side, that's when I feel like, okay, I can go to the CDI side. Um, You know, and people are always like, why, why are your scores so much lower? And, you know, and I, li- I would like to believe that you're not judged necessarily more harshly in a CDI. I I feel like the judging should be pretty uniform across the board. It's not always, but I feel like that's the idea, but it's the fact that it's viewed from five different angles. I think that's what makes your scores consistently slightly lower from in a CDI than in the national side, because you have the difference of one, maybe two judges on a national side, and then you have five different angles where they see. Every detail. Yeah, every if you're thing. straight, they see your profile. They see the straightness. They see it all. Something that looks great from the front might not look so good from the side, and then vice versa. Yeah, so.
2: yeah. and you have to be ready for that, right? I mean, you have to be ready yeah. when you go in in there, you know. And, and here at Global, there's also um, the VIP tent, so mm-hmm. that gets a lot of horses, and I mean, <laughs> riders. Not speaking from a friend, mm-hmm. speaking for myself, you know. Oh, right. we had waiters drop trays and oh and yeah. The horses bad. And I mean there's just it's so it's a very different environment as well. Yeah. And you do school in there. You can go in there and um mm-hmm. but and there's the tents not full. <laughs>
5: when it's right. full, it's and a, the silverware oh, is not clanging and yeah. You know, and it's not to say that once you can consistently do it on the national side, you can just drop it right over onto the CDI side and it'll all be the same either, you know, and that's sometimes there are kinks that do need to be worked out in the CDIs. I, I personally had that happen with, um, with my last Grand free horse. I was consistently in the low to mid seventies on the national side and without a whip, all good, very confident. He was, he was great. And he Would consistently went into the stadium. He was like a turtle, and would just like yeah, back into his shell every time he would just get in that environment. And I, I could kick him around the grand prix, but he didn't. He didn't take me. And I'd go back to the national side, and he'd be like, "All right, let's go!" And off we go. Seventy-four (laughs) percent, seventy-five percent. We'd go back to the CDI, and he'd like be a little turtle back in his shell. And so it took a lot of. A lot of, and we schooled in it and we schooled in it and we schooled in it, but there were always other horses, you know, when schooling's open, it's open for everybody. And he would go in there by himself and I would just feel him like his neck would just recoil. And I actually figured out with him, um, the best approach was that I walked into the stadium, which is never my go-to. Like I'm usually pretty bold in my entrance and like go in big, powerful, like give him the confidence of like, and, um, and I figured it out with him actually from watching Isabel. I watched Isabel at something and it's interesting because she changes the way she comes in. I've seen her come in at the posting trot. I've seen her come in like at a hand gallop. She has kind of entered big stadiums in so many different ways on different horses. And I was watching her. I don't know. It was some, it was something. And she walked into the stadium and very, very quietly like walked around and just like there was no build up of power. There was no nothing, but just very delicately. And I thought, hmm, OK, and I let I let the source walk in and we just tiptoed past the judges and like gave him a second to take it all in. And we took it down center line. But so there's there is that element of of having to work those kinks out. And, and I never had had to do that at the national on the national side where it's a little bit more low key. We could go trotting right in or canter right in and go around nice, bold. He was very confident. So. Um, so that atmosphere definitely does get taken into effect. And sometimes you have to be able to, but because of that, you have that environmental change, then, then I feel like the movements need to be more consistent and more steady. That's all the more reason to, to know that the movements work so that that's not an added element of
2: question marks, you know? No, it's so true. And we haven't talked about, you will need a passport when you uh, compete. Yes. Yep. That's just yep. something to talk about. You have to, and that depends on what federation and, and our, this uh, particular listener is Canadian. So um, you have to work with, it, Phil can help you with that. I can't. Uh, on the <laughs> U.S. side, you go through U.S. equestrian. So it depends on your federation. It depends mm-hmm. on how you're doing and what the regulations are for your country uh, on what CDIs you can enter. Sometimes you can't just mm-hmm. enter a CDI. Uh, it really depends. Now, I think the U.S. is actually cracking down a little bit on that as well. Like you just can't go in there. You have to, to hit some, hit some markers and they're high, high yep. 60s, yep. basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, kind of yeah, what we're talking from about. From the there. national side, I think, right? You have to do yep, a that's certain right. number of things on the national side. Yep. And yep, then I think the stabling, that's a, that's something that's yep. very different for somebody doing their first C.D.I. once is that, that typically you have to get to the show at a certain time. There's like a check in time to the show. You don't get to just kinda of wander up whenever you're ready. Um there's yep. a check in time and then once you go through the job, that your horse is in the FBI stabling, which is fenced and secured, and um and you don't get to you don't get to come and go like you normally would at a regular show. So yep. um there's yep. a lot of yep. a lot of different factors that, yep. that come Procedural into play stuff. When, you, when you do the CDI. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you have to read a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, once you do there's it, a lot of rules, and it varies yep. from
5: show to show. But the there's there's a lot of them, and you, you yeah you have to pay attention too, yep. Have to. Yep, because they're all a start little, logging. tiny
2: but different. <laughs> yep, and you have to log your horse's temperature now. There's an app you mm-hmm. have to have. Um, yeah, you have to be logging your horse's temperatures as you go through, mm-hmm. uh, and you have to log them during the day when you're in. I I uh, can't remember. Is it two or three days prior to mm-hmm. check in? And they're going to check, like they don't mess around. Like if you don't have that, you don't get to do it. Um, they don't play with that at all. Um, because it's, it's too, it's too dangerous for them and, uh, with viruses going around. And, um, Uh, I was, you know, last year, last few years with COVID, that was a challenge. You really had to stay up on the, uh, what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then for the jog, you, you need to practice that as well. Um, not yep. only does your passport have to be updated, but you have to practice the jogging. You don't want to just go in there and have your horse. <laughs> your horse actually out. when you take off running. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that you ground. have to bring a, a <laughs> snaffle bridle with you.
5: Yep. You yeah. That's one of the bridle. things that people that's like. 70%. Oh,
1: I do, uh, I'll just jog No, you can't jog them in in the double no. bridle. You have well, to well, jog the, in a snaffle. Yeah.
5: Yep. And then the flip side of that is that you have to compete in a double in a CDI. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so as of right now, yes. Element. Yeah, as of now, I know they're working as, on changing that, yeah. but um, r- right now you still have to compete in a double. Yeah, um, so you have to remember to the bring the <laughs> If You have to
2: show up on time. Usually, you have to usually they have to log your time when you wanna uh, when your jog spot is, and so you may yep. jog one of ten, and it starts at noon or something like that, and you mm-hmm. you can't play around with if they say you have to be in by eleven. uh yeah, yep. you got to be in by be eleven. Yeah, you're yep. not <laughs> getting in at eleven ten. They're not gonna lie. They don't play <laughs> around with that, that kind of stuff.
5: <laughs> there yeah. a lot yeah no stricter. and then there's different um there's different drug rules too yes.
0: so there's
5: there's a lot to look into and a lot to know about that you're under you're under FEI rules instead of your national governing body and that's it's definitely a whole different can of worms um but we make it sound so daunting and it really yeah. is a very very cool situation i personally so think cool. stabling in a CDI is one of the coolest places to be like it's where yeah. you see where all the big riders are there but they're all just they're all just riders with their horses at that point, and um, and it's I've definitely made some some really cool connections at CDIs. I, I think because typically you're not showing with your whole barn. You know, a lot of people go to these go to, most people go to shows and they show with their little group, and so I think you end up often sticking with your little group or whatever you know uh, group that's that's showing with you. And when you're at a CDI, I think with the secured stabling, since there's fewer people. I don't know. I find that I end up interacting more with my whoever's in my aisle and yeah and end up connecting with riders. Um yeah, it's 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 kind yeah. of a it's a fun little sense to be a part of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a privilege. It's a, privilege. And it's a it's a neat I think it's a neat atmosphere, I
2: guess. Yeah. And my horses always love it because they're always they're alone or there's two of them um right. most of the time they're yeah. alone exactly. and they're just they're a little bit it. more their focus. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) they think they are the king and queen and they they are at that point. And you have to also remember, you know, a lot of times, um, body workers and that type of thing, there are regulations, um, but I do try to keep the same body workers that they come in and we schedule them that they get to come in in the afternoon, if I show in the morning or whatever, so that the horses get a little break and, um, but it's really quiet back there and the horses just kind of do their thing. And it's, it's quite, it's quite nice. So, but we all of us would encourage you to do it. It's such a cool
5: experience.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's a great experience for sure.
5: Um, if you're ready for it, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. I think if you, (laughs) I think you can make it the experience you want too. if you go in there and, and you go in over your head, I think it can be a very daunting, very, Oh my gosh, what did I do experience? But if you go in and you've already crossed all your teased and dotted all your eyes and you feel confident that you're ready and your coach feels confident that you're ready then it's a very very special experience yeah
2: and a good if, if you have an opportunity to groom at a cdi you should do that first <laughs> you know that's a <laughs> yeah. great way again you can't just walk in the stable and you have to be there for a reason so if yeah you get to yeah. groom for 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 a rider um and you kind of learn all of these rules it's less daunting when you go back when that's you go true. back yourself as a rider yeah, yeah. it's easier i agree so yeah, well, fantastic. Anything else, Jody, that we've forgotten? I, that was an awesome response to Lillian's question. And Lillian, we wish you luck. We want to stay yes. with you on your journey. We want to hear us know all when you about- do your
5: first CDI. <laughs> yeah, we will come cheer you
2: on. We would love yes. it. So, well, Jody, how can our listeners find you online if they have any more questions?
5: Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Jody Kelly or Jody Kelly Dressage, um, and my my. My website is getting a facelift at the moment, but jodycaldressage dot com will be up and running shortly.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Jody. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Phil. As I was scrolling through Facebook, I saw a great post from Ashley Rantores of Art Dressage. She's been on the show many times, uh, and she's a, a dear friend of mine. But I wanted you to take time and just read this post for me as the trainer tip because I think everyone's going to enjoy it.
1: Okay, well, let me uh, let me just get this going, and then we can talk about you know what we think about it afterwards. And uh, yeah, because I mean. Uh, A- Ashley, great person, great horse person. She's uh, written this. She's obviously you know really intelligent and um, and kind of sum- summed up the the whole experience of of how to you know of being in the middle of uh, of the dressage world.
2: Yeah
1: Okay, here we go. Behind the scenes of striving for perfection. In the spotlight of competition arenas, riders present polished performances that showcase their hours of practice and tireless efforts. But what you may not see is the countless hours of training, the setbacks, and the quiet battles that shape their journey. Dressage demands an exceptional level of skill, precision, and partnership between horse and rider. Achieving that level of harmony is an ongoing process that requires unwavering commitment. Behind every impeccable ride, there are countless moments of self-doubt, frustration, and even tears. Riders face the pressure of constantly pushing their limits, refining their techniques, and developing a deep bond with their equine partners. The journey towards mastery is paved with setbacks, missteps, and disappointments. It takes unwavering determination and resilience to overcome these hurdles and continue striving for excellence. What makes the dressage industry particularly challenging is the pursuit of perfection. Riders strive for that elusive moment where horse and rider move as one, seemingly effortlessly. But achieving this level of synchronization is an arduous task. Countless hours are spent practicing transitions, perfecting movements, and honing the rider's seat and aids. The process can be mentally and physically demanding, pushing riders to their limits both emotionally and physically. The external image portrayed by successful dressage riders often emphasizes their achievements, leaving little room to discuss the struggles and losses along the way. But it's essential to remember that no rider is exempt from setbacks and failures. Even the most accomplished equestrians face their fair share of challenges. Behind the scenes, they fight battles against self-doubt, setbacks and moments of vulnerability. By acknowledging the hidden struggles within the dressage industry, we can foster a more compassionate and supportive community. Sharing stories of resilience and perseverance can inspire others to keep going despite the hardships they may encounter. Behind every victory are untold stories of struggle, persistence, and personal growth. So the next time you witness a breathtaking dressage performance, remember that behind that moment lies a journey of dedication and determination. Let us celebrate not only the victories, but also the countless efforts, sacrifices, and unseen battles that shape the world of dressage. Let us support one another, recognizing that even in the pursuit of greatness, we all face challenges along the way.
2: I just love that and have to thank Ashley Rand Torres. You know, Ashley's been on our show so many times she's been my assistant and and been part of my life she's my barn daughter so when she wrote this i just really felt like it was something we should share and um i hope everyone enjoys it and if you need to well yeah
1: i i think you know bef- before you you know we sign off or or anything about i mean like like that's what we're trying to encapsulate with our with our show i think that puts yeah. it into words you know what how we feel about Uh, dressage it's a struggle for everyone you know and and the the few people that we've had on that have you know won olympic gold medals that it's it's difficult it's it's really really difficult and uh not only do you have to be you know strong mentally physically physically and and show up every day but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of luck you know every big name rider we we talk to say oh well you know can pinpoint you know certain things that say you know I got like, I worked hard, which when the opportunities come up, I was able to take advantage of them. It, it's not that, you know, nobody gets gets to the top without, you know, putting in a lot of uh, important work. And so this encapsulates our sentiment that, that we're trying yeah. to get across, you know?
2: Yeah. And everybody's Olympics is different. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone is uh, working towards something and has different challenges and, you know, um, sometimes a 63% is, uh, is literally like winning the Olympics, uh, because you can move forward and do a freestyle or, or whatever it may be. And I think we forget that sometimes. And, um, I think we all try to celebrate each other's successes. And I think that's so important because we don't know what everyone's struggles are, and everyone's struggles are different. And it doesn't matter if you have the best horse in the world. Sometimes having the best horse in the world is one of the mental mentally one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. So, um, I just love that. I just love the sentiment. I just love, um, you know, I know her story. I know how hard she's worked on the horse she wrote this about. And it just, it was one of those things. I just felt like it was so well-written and we needed to spend a little time on it. So I hope if you need to go back and listen to that again, um, if you're particularly struggling or if you particularly just had an amazing ride and, and things just came together for you uh, or your barn mate or whoever, um, I just think it's a really important thing to remember as we go through this. We are My, my thing is, uh, I always say we're not curing cancer we're riding horses in circles, but it's very important to us. They're very important circles to us, and um, we all work very, very hard and just keep celebrating. I, I think Phil and I we we yeah, we talk build,
1: build about your community. Time. You know,
0: yep. And uh,
1: if you if, if at a horse show, you you know you see somebody having a, a bad day or whatever. I mean, a compliment costs nothing to give. That's right. Right, that's right. and and you can possibly make someone's day, or, or you know, just. Just make, or, make or them feel just, better, yeah. or, you know, the, whatever yeah. it is, right?
2: Sometimes workshops are horrible. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it, they're are clinics or some, you know, yeah, you, you start off with a flat tire and it gets worse from there. You know, I just, I think that's so important to remember. I think we all get a little caught up, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we're building a, a, an amazing community. And I think that's really important to remember. And even if there may be a person that doesn't have a community, maybe they need somebody or maybe they need somebody just to give them a, a high five. Um, and I'm going to take this moment to shout out to Dr. Catherine Donworth. She's a huge listener to the show. She's a dear friend of mine as well, who got her 63% at third level test one, meaning she can do her second level freestyle. And she also got her bronze medal this weekend. So Catherine cheers to you, my friend. I'm so proud of you and I'm, I'm happy to be part of her journey and, um, yeah, very and- proud.
1: Congrats from the community. Yeah. That's, that's Absolutely. Fantastic. It's
2: huge. So don't forget to send them to us. We love it when you guys send email and Facebook shout-outs. We want this community to be that place of um cheering everybody on because that this is a hard thing to do. And as you guys are driving to the barn or driving to work, so that you can go to the barn later, uh, we just want to acknowledge that. So, cheers to everybody! Uh, we're it's cocktail time where Phil and I are recording. So, uh, cheers <laughs> to everybody, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Well, Phil, I just want to remind everybody we have a book club book going. We're gonna that we will wrap this one up this month for sure, and it is by Eric Smiley, The Sport Horse Problem Solver: What Works, What Doesn't, and How to Make It Better. So we hope you get this book from Trafalgar Square, horseandriderbooks.com. This is a great book. I'm reading it right now. I'm really enjoying it. I've dog-eared it like crazy. So you'll really enjoy it. And as always, the United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our page at horseradionetwork.com. Search Dressage Radio Show. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
1: I think the best way to find me is probably through Facebook or my email is philip at com. Like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products. If you'd like to support our show and the Horse Radio Network, you can do that through the auditor program found at horseradionetwork.com.
2: Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week.